The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Amen. I thought it was just best to get praying and then hopefully that will bring some order. So God is in this place and God wants to speak to you this morning as well. Um, we're continuing our series. Helen mentioned it. We just about remembered it. It's called God's Training Ground, Lessons from David. And this morning, uh, our, our title is Doing What God Wants. Do you want to do what God wants? Yes. Do you want to do what God wants? Well, you know, I think there are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. One way is to seek to do God's will, and the other is to do your own will. And now, for those of you in this place that, that you are saved, if you, if, you know, if you made a commitment to live your life for Jesus Christ, uh, we have a completely different outlook uh, at the world and how we live our lives. There should be a completely different way in which we live. If you belong to Christ... You are part of this family, and you're part of this mission and this purpose. You have this hope that that can never be diminished because your your life belongs to the living God, and he has control over all things. He is in all things. He created everything, and you are a part of what God is doing. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are grounded on the foundation that is him, you, you are chosen by him. You know you have a purpose and a calling. It should change the way that we, that we live. We know that in the midst of whatever trial you're going through, God is there in the midst of it. You know that whatever you're facing, whatever situation perhaps our nation is going through, your family is going through, there's a different way of living and walking because you know my God is with me, my God is for me. And I know I'm jumping right into the deep end here, but... Um, If you belong to Jesus Christ, there is a hope that cannot be shaken. In the midst of whatever sickness, in the midst of confusion of what way to go, you know that there is a God who is for you, who is with you, who is on your side. But have you ever felt like you don't actually know what you're doing? Have you ever felt actually like you're kind of making it up as you go along? Because I think that is the other way to live. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to do something and you are just clueless about what you're supposed to be doing? I had a situation situation once, and I'm going back now um, over a decade. Um, I was at university, and it was in the summer where there wasn't much to do. Um, I wasn't busy reading the books I should have been reading. Um, And uh, me and my friend Carwin, um, we... uh, well, he loves animals, and he had a plan. He's like, Johnny, can you help me? I want to build a pond in my parents' garden. But not any ordinary pond. This was a pond just for frogs, okay? Um, I mean, frogs are endangered. Did you know that? 
And I mean, they, they were maybe 10 years ago. Maybe our pond made all the difference. But we were, we, were, we were building a pond in his garden. Now, back then, there weren't YouTube channels that you could go to to find out how to build a pond. Um, my dad, uh, Clive, if you want to know how to build a pond, you need to head to his YouTube channel. But back then, there was no YouTube channel. We did not know what we were doing. Has anyone ever seen a, a program that used to be on back then? It was called Rogue Traders. Yes, and it's basically these cowboy builders that turn up and they do someone's driveway, but they don't actually know what they're doing, and, and basically they scam people out of loads of money. Now, um, we weren't being paid for what we were doing, it was because of the love of the frogs, but we built this pond, and it was just a, a diabolical, atrocious attempt. Uh, it had that lino in it, um, we had... We, we had to make cement, we'd never made cement before, and actually it's actually quite easy. I didn't realize it was easy, but we made a complete mess of it. I remember just like trying to put cement in between the lino and the, the hole that we dug, and, and cement was falling into the water, and we did not have a clue what we were doing, and if, I mean, fortunately it's no longer there anymore. I remember going back five years and seeing this kind of eyesore of a pond. And thankfully, amazingly, there were frogs the following year using that pond, but it looked terrible. It was mentioned, whenever I spoke to Carwin's parents, the pond came up and uh, we felt terrible. Um, but anyway, have you ever been in a situation where you don't know what you're doing? Um, I mentioned my dad earlier. The other day, hold on, hold on John, hold on. Um, the other day, um, my, uh, my dad, he put Joshua to bed for the first time. And uh, uh, I, uh, Kizzy and I were out, and my mum, unfortunately, she was also out. And, and my dad was like, I'll do it. He picked Joshua up from, uh, from Kizzy's mum's house, took him home, and he went through our whole bedtime routine. And uh, we have quite a complicated uh, bedtime routine. Um, uh, there's specific things that Joshua has to do, turning out the lights. Um, and various things. And unfortunately, although we'd written it all down, my dad missed the message. Um, so he, he just did it. He did it, and he did a very good job of it. But what he did say, and I like this, that as he was doing it, and Joshua found it very funny, um, he, was, he kept saying, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and and Joshua, every time he said it, Joshua found it very funny. But we are in situations where we don't know what we're doing. And actually, people, I believe, spend their whole lives not knowing what they are doing. They spend their whole lives just walking blindly into situations, trying to make it up as they go along. I believe anyone who doesn't know the purpose for which they're on this planet, doesn't know the creator God who formed them and called them, and called them by name to live for him, anyone who is not, not, not knowing what they were here to do is walking blindly, giving it their best shot, trying to make their way through. And they go from situation to situation, crisis to crisis, problem to problem, making it up, trying to just survive, trying to get through situations. It doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter whether people have got loads of money or no money, doesn't matter what nation they're from or what, what uh, situation they're in. There are people blindly, without a clue, no idea, trying to make their way through this life and through this world. And, you know, there are people who make it up, and what they tend to do is just to do whatever feels right. 
living for yourselves, living my way, but to what end and for what purpose? This morning, as we look at the life of David, I'm kind of jumping back a little bit, because David was anointed and called for a purpose. He was anointed to be a king, and he was trained by God to be a leader of the people of Israel. But David was anointed because someone else who was supposed to be king, messed it up. So we're looking at the the difference between Saul, the previous king, and to David. And actually, when uh, when David uh, was anointed by Samuel, it must have been a bit of a shocking thing. Jonathan spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but he probably thought, well, there's already a king. And actually, he reigned for many more years before David became king. But I think there was a conversation that took place. I think that Samuel sat down, Samuel who anointed first Saul and then anointed David. I think Samuel sat down with David and actually had a bit of a a conversation. And actually probably just went through a little bit in terms of, look, this is where it has gone wrong for Saul. And this is how you need to lead as you move forward. I think there was a time when Samuel sat down and said, look, all these things that that Saul did wrong, you can't make those mistakes if you are to be the king of the people of Israel. And a little bit of what we're seeking to do this morning, I suppose, is to to be in the midst of that conversation, in the midst of that, 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 um, that conversation that could have happened, I think did happen, between uh, Samuel and David. Because when I look at the life of Saul, I see someone who is just trying to make it up as he goes along. He'd been called for a purpose, he'd been anointed to be a leader, but when he actually went into it, when he actually was trying to live out that calling, he was busy just kind of making it up, trying to just do his best and not seeking after God. We're going to read... And we've got um, the words are going to come up from the book of 1 Samuel from chapter 15. Um, We've got quite a chunk. Um, We're going to read the majority of this chapter. But I read quite fast. So hopefully you can keep up. One day Samuel said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his people Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Teliam. There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and lay in wait in the valley. Saul sent this warning to the Canaanites. Move away from from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything. In fact, that appealed to them. 
They destroyed only what was worthless or, as poor, or of poor quality. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all this bleating of sheep and goats and lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord set you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the, the Amalekites until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush to the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I bought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Then Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel finally agreed and went back with him and Saul worshipped the Lord. This was the end of Saul's reign, um, at least in God's eyes. You know, there was a period in which he continued as king before David took the throne. But certainly this was like the final nail in the coffin when it came to Saul's leadership as king. And from this moment, not only did uh, Israel go through greater issues, but like he, as a, as a, a, a worshipper of God, kind of fell into chaos and disorder uh, all the more. Saul had a big problem. And certainly... If we were to go to the first point this morning, his biggest problem was this, that uh, he was not after God's own heart. And therefore, God found one who was. A little earlier in the story um, of Saul, 
something else happens that was very similar, where he, he was given a command by God and rejected it and, and did something else. And this situation is, is a couple of chapters back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, where uh, he was told to wait. He was going up to fight the Philistines, um, but he was told to wait for seven days until Samuel had arrived. And in 1 Samuel, I'm just going to read verses 13 and 14, Rick. Uh, it just says this. This is when um, Saul decided that actually he would sacrifice, and that was not his job. That was Samuel's role. And Samuel said this. How foolish, Samuel ex- exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul had been disobedient. Saul had done what he felt was the best thing to do. I talked earlier about how people live their lives just doing what they think is best without seeking the counsel of the one who knows everything, who created everything, who formed us, who sees everything, um, and even knows our innermost thoughts. And here is Saul just doing what he thinks he, he needs to do. In this case, uh, there, is a, there is a battle about to happen He's afraid because his army are kind of getting restless as they're waiting. He feels like uh, the, 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 uh, the Philistines are going to come and attack him. And suddenly he's like, oh, I haven't sought after God. I haven't actually inquired of the Lord. And therefore he, he has a sacrifice and he does it himself. In many ways, it's a sign of this is a lost man, a confused man, because actually he starts doing the job that wasn't his in the first place. He'd been anointed to be the leader of Israel, but Samuel had been anointed to be uh, the, the, the prophet to the people. And it was his role to come and, and uh, lead the sacrifice. So he started doing the wrong job. He started doing the things that he actually wasn't called to do at all. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a situation where you know you had a specific role, but because suddenly fear came upon you, you ran and did something else to try and fix the problem when you could have asked someone else to do it? Doing the wrong job um, was a sign that he was not seeking after God. He wasn't walking in his calling. He wasn't doing what uh, he had been uh, anointed to do. And seeking after God for Saul had become an afterthought. It becomes something to do when the, when the problems arose rather than at the first point in the first place of a life of seeking after God's heart. And uh, it says here, as we read, that uh, God was seeking after someone who was after his own heart. And it is said of David in Acts 13, 22, that he was that man. It says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So the first step in us doing what God wants is to be after his heart. You know, if you are running after God's heart, his instructions, his commands, they don't become a burden for you anymore. They become something that you desire to do. And that's because in Scripture, countless times it says that uh, Jesus said this in John 14. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands. 
Again, and later in that chapter, he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So actually, doing what God wants, becoming obedient to God, is a heart issue, and it's a love issue. If you love God, you will do what he desires. If you love him, you will find yourself desiring and naturally falling into doing what he wants you to do. And David was a man who loved to do what God commanded him to do. In the midst of, of the Psalms, which many of which David wrote, and some of which he wrote, I've got a few scriptures here, but when it came to obeying God, his, his desire was to fulfill God's commands. He says in Psalm 119.34, Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all of my heart. And he says later in the same psalm, verse 168, I obey your precepts and your statutes for all my ways are known to you. Because he knows that God knows him intimately and he desires that intimate communion with him. He desires to fulfill God's uh, commands, his statutes, his precepts. And while David was not perfect by any means, his heart was for God. He was not after... Uh, glory for himself. He was after glory for God. He longed to do God's will and he knew that because God knows him best, he, God knows what his calling was. You know, David was anointed by God to become king and he trusted throughout many years, even running away from Saul, even when his life was in danger, that God would fulfill his promise when he put God first in his life. For, for David, seeking after God wasn't an afterthought. It was the first thought for him. And David is one that if you read the scriptures, if you read the Psalms, you just sense that he was a worshipper and a lover of God. It says in Psalm 18 verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. It's clear that David was someone who was devoted to God and sought to do his will. And that was, you know, the highest calling for him. His heart was after God and he knew. Um, and it says, it, it, as we read in Acts 13, 22, that, that God said of David, he will do everything I want him to do. Love comes first. It's in that communion that we can have with God that we each can have, that we can be sure that we're doing uh, what is right and what God desires of us. But there's a danger here because you could think that you're doing all, uh, all of God's commands, but if you don't have the communion with God, you can get it completely back to front. You can get the wrong end of the stick. And you see in Scripture that happens to many people. Jesus is so often calling out the Pharisees who seem to say they're doing everything exactly as God has written, but because they don't have communion with God, they don't actually know God's true heart in uh, the commands that he has. You take the character of the, the Apostle Paul, and before he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, he thought he was zealous for God's law. He thought he was doing exactly what God desires, and he was busy persecuting Christians. He was busy um, even putting in jail and watching over Christians being martyred and thought he was doing God's will. But because he didn't know God, because he didn't have communion with him, because he didn't love God in that way, 
He didn't actually understand what it was that God desired for him to do. I think David, the worshipper, is a precursor to what we, as children of God, saved by the blood of Christ, can do when we have communion with him, when we can know God intimately. We can be a lover of God and we can learn to do God's will. You know, we're talking about David, who was called to lead the people of Israel. But what about you? Who are you called to influence? Who are you called to lead? You may think, oh, well, I'm really not a leader. I don't feel comfortable leading other people. But whether you like it or not, we're all called to be influencers. We're all called to shape environments. We're all called to shine God's light into dark places. We're all called to be a a sign and a wonder to a dying, dark world that God is alive, that God is real, and God's hand of blessing is upon our lives. And as David was called to lead the people as one who sought after God's heart, we too are called in our situations, whether it be in your family, whether it be in in your neighbourhood, who you live amongst, whether it be in the workplace, you may not be the CEO, you may not even be a a manager, you may be on the lowest rung, but you can be an influencer in that place. You can be a leader in that place when you bring God's light into that environment. You may be in a situation at school or college where you think that, you know, I'm here just to sit and to listen and to learn, but you can influence the very classroom that you're in as you become one who seeks after God's heart. So if that is part one to doing what God wants, uh, the second thing we're looking at is this. It's to fear God and not people. And this, I think, is at the heart of what went wrong for Saul at the heart of how uh, things got messed up for him, because above all, Saul feared what people thought, what men thought, above what God desired for him to do. He had misplaced fear. In the, the chapter that we read in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, when, Sam, uh, when Saul finally admits that he made a mistake, that he disobeyed the instructions. It says this, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Saul feared saying no to people. Saul, it says here that he feared, you know, he feared the displeasure of people more than the displeasure of God. Samuel had warned him clearly earlier. There was a moment in 1 Samuel 12 where Samuel had been the judge over the people of Israel. The people desired a king, so actually Samuel was stepping back from his role and elevating Saul into his. And he said to to Saul, Be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve him. Think of the wonderful things he has done for you. So for, for Saul, there was misplaced fear. He was supposed to fear the Lord, and faithfully serve him, but actually he began to fear the people. He began to fear what others said. He began to fear, um, oh, what if my army left me? 
or uh, the army desired the, 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 the cattle and the sheep. They desired to take the king, uh, King Agag, and to taunt him. And, and he just uh, let the pe- his army do that rather than actually taking his position and telling them what uh, God desired them to do. What you see in the life of David is very different to Saul in this way. There was countless times where David was not cowed by the voice of the people, but sought the Lord and to do the Lord's will. You know, even last week in the story of David and Goliath, there's a whole army who are hearing the voice of a a man of Goliath, and they're petrified. They're fearing this one man, and David, he hears the voice of, of Goliath taunting the people of Israel, and he is not cowed at all. He does not fear what this man has to say at all but he fears uh, God, and therefore he seeks to go and, uh, and kill Goliath, which he does. There are opportunities for David later, later in his life where he had uh, the opportunity to actually kill Saul. There were moments when David was on the run, living in, in caves, and Saul was seeking after him, chasing after him, wanting to kill him. And uh, there's a moment where, where Saul actually enters one of the caves to relieve himself. And, uh, and David's there. And all of David's men are saying, this is your opportunity. This is your moment. This is your time. You could kill Saul right now. But David doesn't. Imagine that. 600 men are saying, this is your moment. Step up. Take that opportunity. But David doesn't do it. He fears God. He says, far be it from me to kill the Lord's anointed. He doesn't do it. He trusts in God. How about us? How about us? When there's pressure coming in, when people are saying, this is what you need to believe, when uh, society or the media, they're telling you what, uh, what it is that we should believe and how we should live, are you listening to them or are you listening to the counsel and the word of God? People who live from moment to moment, clueless in their situations, are busy listening to what everyone else is saying listening and moving from one confusion to the next, not knowing what, uh, what we're here for, not knowing uh, you know, uh, God's purposes for the world, but being blown around by opinion, uh, by uh, popularity and a personal glory as well. And we need to be as careful as ever in this generation. Being cowed by popular opinion has been a problem for man from the very beginning. As soon as sin entered, we sought to be liked. But perhaps in this generation more than ever, when we're busy making a page and putting up on a website all about ourselves, or even, you know, I find even as Christians, we put a verse online, something like, um, I must decrease uh, so he may increase. And an hour later, we're checking how many likes we got. (laughs) You see that happening? This is what... The world that we're living in, we need to be careful in this generation. For Saul, he was one who sought glory for himself. We read in the scripture earlier, when Samuel went to find him, he was busy building a monument to himself. We're here in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 15, when Saul pleads with him, I know I have sinned, but please at least honour me before the elders of my people, and before Israel. Saul sought the honour of people 
rather than God to be honoured. He cared more about what others thought. But David, he was different. He was after God's heart. In fact, he was willing to look foolish in front of others in his pursuit to worship God. In 2 Samuel 6, so this is now when David is king, he takes the ark into Jerusalem, into the city. And there's this moment where, not wearing much, he dances before the ark. He dances in worship, in adoration for his God. And one of his wives, in fact, the, the daughter of Saul, um, is, it says she looked upon him with contempt. In uh, 2 Samuel 6, from verse 20, it says, she said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. And David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. David was one. It says that I'm willing to be even more undignified than this because his desire, first and foremostly, is that God be elevated and not his name. You know, he was called to be king, but his focus was that God be exalted, not himself. And this is for us as well. This is for us as well. How in your life are you seeking to bring honour and praise to him, to our Lord and Saviour? It says here that David was dancing before him because God had bestowed upon him that kingship. For us, as children of God, saved by his grace, given new life, do we not have reason to, to, to bring honour to him in every moment, in every circumstance? Do we not have reason to bring our worship and praise to him in every situation we find? The third point is this, and we read this in the midst of 1 Samuel 15. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God desires our obedience. It says from verse 22, and this is Samuel's reply to Saul. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Now I just want to jump down to the, you know, this, uh, verse 23 where it kind of makes a statement and it, it, it wakes you up a little bit. It's, it, God's, uh, God's saying, what? It says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. In the NIV, it uses the phrase divination. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. Why would uh, disobedience be the same as witchcraft? Why would disobedience be divination? Well, divination is uh, seeking after the counsel of someone who has a, like, a, an ability to consult spirits. And uh, uh, it may be, you could use the phrase a medium, or uh, you could use the, uh, like a, a sorcerer or a wizard. And in the midst of Deuteronomy, it talks about how those things are an abomina abomination to God. So why is disobedience the same as that? Well, the reason you go to a sorcerer is because you seek counsel. 
It's because you seek to know what to do, because you seek to find out the way to go. And essentially, by doing that, you're seeking uh, the counsel of one that is not God. Disobedience is not doing God's will, and therefore, uh, disobedience is, uh, is looking for the wisdom of someone else. And so often for us, it's ourselves. Disobedience is saying, I'm not going to do God's will, I'm going to do what I want to do. And living any other way than the way that God desires for us is sinful. So when you're seeking out the right path, and you choose to do what you want, and not what God desires for you, when you're making up the way to go, actually, you're, you're basically saying that um, my wisdom is greater than God's wisdom. My way is elevated above God's way. And the only true, reliable source of wisdom who is God, you're rejecting that and consulting uh, yourself or even other voices, someone else. It says that rebellion is as the sin of divination and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So how is, how is disobedience the same as idolatry? Well, in the same way, by consulting your own feelings or even the feelings of someone else, as an alternative to God, you're raising up your own wisdom to be higher than his. You're basically saying that I am better than, than God. I know the way forward. God's way is not good for me. It's throwing out God's will and seeking your own way forward. This was something that Saul was doing, and it's something that we so easily fall into ourselves. But David was one who was different. So often David chose to humble himself and sought the Lord for direction. It was his lifestyle, it was his way of living. In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. David constantly inquired of the Lord. When he was in a crisis, when his, uh, all his family and his people had been uh, captured, by, again by the Amalekites, later in 1 Samuel 30, he asks the Lord, he inquires of the Lord, he says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? God says, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Um, when you look at the life of David, there, there are countless of examples where he sought the Lord. Will, will, is this the right way to go? Is this the way uh, for, for us to succeed? And God spoke to him consistently. So why is it that obedience is better than sacrifice? Well, sacrifice, the reason we sacrifice or sacrifices were made by uh, uh, the uh, people of Israel in the Old Testament is because they were seeking to appease or call off the anger or the wrath of God. It was because of disobedience. The reason a sacrifice is made is because of disobedience. But obedience... That prevents a sacrifice from even being need, needed to be made. Obedience brings about a blessing. So for Saul, he was caught out big time because uh, he had not done what God had asked. He had been caught out having uh, failed to uh, fulfill the full commandments. 
And he was busy saying, oh, but, but all those animals, we're going to make a sacrifice of them instead. And bear in mind, in the midst of all of this, actually, they were just picking the fat ones. They were picking the ones that they wanted to eat. Yes, they were going to sacrifice them to the Lord, but actually, they just wanted to eat the meat, having taken the plunder. So, I mean, I think it's amazing when Samuel finds him. It's almost comical when uh, he greets Saul in verse 13 of, of, of chapter 15. And, uh, and Saul's response is, like, he's excited. It says he's cheerful. He says, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. And Samuel says this, then what is all the bleating of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? I mean, that is a comeback, isn't it? <laughs> Essentially, Saul hadn't really understood the command. He hadn't really understood what it was that God was asking him to do. Without knowing God, without communion with him, his commands don't make sense. You could take the situation of Halloween and, uh, and, uh, and, and families that you know, send their kids off trick-or-treating, and, and this is a good thing to do, but because they don't know the heart of God, they don't understand what they're sending their kids out to do. Knowing God, having communion with him, I, I, you know, as you read God's word, as you hear his promises, as you hear what he's inviting us to do, it makes sense when you know him. You know, the cross is foolishness for those that are not saved. We have been trained, and we are being trained by God for his purposes. Now, the sacrifice has been made for us. Amen? Jesus Christ died that we may have life. It's a once and for all sacrifice. And in the freedom that we gain through the knowledge of him, we can see God stirring us up and preparing us for his purposes. We're trained to do his will. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There are good things that God has planned for your life, that even he has anointed you to do. A life of obedience, a life following after God's heart will enable us to do everything God wants for us. Of David, the son of Jesse, he was a man after God's own heart. It says he will do everything I want him to do. It is for our good for us to obey God. It is for our good for us to, to follow his lead, to sit under his counsel, to hear from him, to know his word, and to respond in obedience. I love these verses from Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 and 13. I think it will come up. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul and you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. You know, God's commands, they're not burdensome. They're to enable us to live better. 
to accomplish more, to succeed, to transform our situations and our circumstances and the people around us. And you have been anointed to that end. One of the things that amazes me when I read about these verses of of Saul is that how Samuel keeps reminding him that this is what you were anointed to do. You're anointed to lead the people of Israel. In verse 1 it says, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of the people, Israel. In verse 17 it says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. Saul fell into disobedience. Saul had been given this great calling, but he had not obeyed God, and therefore that calling was taken from him. We heard a couple of weeks ago, as as Pastor Jonathan was preaching about the anointing of David, that, that God looks at the heart and not at the outward appearance. It says here that clearly Saul did not think of himself highly enough. And because of that, actually, he failed to do what God desires. But as children of God, as anointed by God, as his children, we have the opportunity to step up into our purpose and our destiny. We have the opportunity to step up into our calling. And that is what he desires for each one of us. That's what he desires for you. We have been anointed to do what God wants. We've been commissioned by God. In what 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, it says, It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. In the NIV, it says, He has anointed us, and He has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised for us. Because of Jesus, because of the anointing that he's given us, we can stand firm in our calling. We can stand firm in in who he created us to be. We don't need to live our lives confused of what's going to happen next, of uh, making up as we go along, of consulting different voices, of just doing what we desire, but we can live a higher calling a higher purpose, under the authority of God, make, uh, living a life that makes a difference, living a life of purpose and destiny, living a life of doing what God created us to do. Saul missed it. David stepped into it. And we have that opportunity as God's chosen uh, children. Why don't you just stand? We're going to pray. Choosing to live an obedient life It's choosing to do what you've been called to do. It's choosing to step into uh, your purpose and destiny. And it's not for our glory, but for God's. Can you imagine David standing up and sharing his testimony? You know, we're used to hearing people come and share their story, share their testimony. We're going to hear it at the, the women's breakfast in a few weeks. Can you imagine David sharing his testimony? What a wonderful powerful testimony would he carry. I love that though he was shot down so many times, when he became king, all the people acknowledged that he was God's anointed. All the people acknowledged that it was the Lord that had called him. 
it says that all the tribes of Israel went out to David and they told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when David was our king, you were the one who really led the force of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. It was later in life where the people realized, yes, God's hand is upon you. And the testimony that David carried was that my God anointed me for this end, to be the leader of the people of Israel. What is it that God has anointed you to do? It is for you to seek after the Lord. It is for you to hear from God. It is your calling and your destiny. But I simply say this, be after God's heart. Seek the glory of God and not glory from people. And seek to be obedient. And as you are obedient to God, you'll step into his purposes. We're going to sing together.